I hope you all enjoyed your um, extra hour of sleep last night. Because those of us with young children in our home have already been up for like five hours. So I hope you enjoyed it. And we're just so glad that you're here. And we are glad that uh, if you were here for the Sunday school hour, we're thankful you were here for that, even if it was an accident that you showed up for Sunday school today. Um, what a blessing it is to gather together to worship God. And whether you're uh, a regular here, a, a, a member or a visitor, we're just thankful for your presence. And we should feel blessed that we have this opportunity uh, to gather in this way in a free land to worship our God. We're, we're blessed uh, that God has given us another day, that He's... Uh, that He woke us up this morning, that we have breath in our lungs in order to praise Him. We're thankful for the fellowship that we can experience with like-minded believers. Uh, As Mike mentioned, Mitchell and Rachel Ruth are here with us today, all the way from Peru. You know, Mike said they're visiting with us, but in a sense, they're home. Because this is their home congregation. We are uh, sponsoring them, supporting them in their wonderful work in Peru. We're glad that they're with us today, and Mitchell, as was mentioned, will be talking about that great work tonight, a work that we support, that you support. And so I hope that you'll decide to come back at 6 o'clock and get an update on the wonderful things that God is doing in Cusco, Peru. And let me also say, as we get going today, that next Sunday is our all-in-one day, our fall all-in-one. We'll have a guest speaker. All of our adult Bible classes will meet in this room at 9 o'clock. We'll have worship in here at 10. We'll all go eat, so bring plenty of food as always, and then we'll be back in here for an afternoon devotional. Think about somebody over the course of this next week that you can invite to join us for all in one. A neighbor, a family member, maybe who's been out of church for a while, a friend, a co-worker, a classmate. There's somebody out there. Now, somebody might turn you down. But you might be surprised. Maybe there's somebody out there who's been waiting on somebody to say, hey, I'd love for you to come to church with me. And you might be surprised at how receptive they are. So do that this week. This morning, we have reached the end of the road for our series, More About Jesus. And over the course of the last several weeks, we have seen, well, we've seen many things that maybe... Maybe we've seen before about Jesus Christ, but we've neglected or we've never really dug into understanding that facet of our Lord and Savior. We've seen that Jesus is the offspring of Abraham. And through Jesus, we, who are not biological descendants of Abraham, are now his children as well. And the blessings of God extend to us, and they ought to extend through us to all the people on earth. We have seen that Jesus is the temple of God, manifesting God's presence with us in a complete way. We've seen that Jesus is the great high priest. He is the one who mediates a relationship between God and his people. We've seen that Jesus is the king on David's throne, the one sent to be the sovereign ruler ruler over God's people forevermore. We've seen that Jesus is the ultimate prophet, who speaks for God in an ultimate, perfect way because He is God. And in that lesson a couple weeks ago, we asked, are you listening? 
Are you listening to Him? Jesus, the ultimate prophet. And last week we saw that Jesus is the final sacrifice for sins. The one whose death was the once and for all antidote to our sin infection. That Jesus paid it all, our complete debt, all of our sins at the cross. I hope that in this series overall, we have seen that we need the Old Testament. That we cannot unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament as some throughout Christian history have proposed. We cannot unhitch our Savior from all of the expectations and prophecies about Him laid out in the Old Testament. Now today, as we wrap this thing up, we are talking about victory. Victory. What a grand word. You know, I believe that every great story ends... With victory. And you may say, well, there are some well known stories in the world of stories that end with tragedy. But this is just my opinion those aren't the best stories. The best stories to me are those that may include tragedy, but they end on a note of victory. I'm thinking about some very well known stories the Lord of the Rings saga, the Chronicles of Narnia. A more recent edition, the Hunger Games series of books, the Star Wars saga. Each of these, without giving away any spoilers, each of these ends victoriously, even though there, there is some tragedy and sadness mixed in. Let me share an example from my own life, from something that I observed. At my high school, Red Bank High School in Chattanooga, Tennessee, we had a, when I was in school, a football coach, his name was Tom Weathers. And by the time I was in school, he was already a pretty legendary coach. In fact, now the field is named for him. At the beginning of the 2000 uh, football season, the 2000 school year, his wife, Linda Weathers, was suffering uh, with terminal cancer, gravely ill. And before the season began, the players got together and they went and visited Coach Weathers' wife. And they took her some flowers and some candy as a gesture of their kindness. And Miss Weathers wrote them a note that reads uh, in this way. Dear football team, what a very special team you are. I hear so many good things about you. And I know the football team of 2000 is going to be Red Bank's finest ever. You are so very thoughtful to send me the beautiful flowers and the delicious candy. Your kindness means so much to Coach Weathers and me. With love, Linda Weathers. And at the bottom, she wrote in all caps with two exclamation marks at the end, Go for the state. Go for the state. Miss Weathers passed away just two weeks or so before the season began. And throughout the season, our football team had this note in the locker room with them before every game. They reminded one another of the note. They read the note aloud. The note, Mrs. The late Mrs. Weathers' words became an inspiration to them as they faced opponent after opponent in the uh, regular season and then into the playoffs. And wouldn't you know that on a cold, snowy December night at MTSU's football stadium, our football team won the state championship. They were the 5A class, or the class 5A, whatever it is, state champions. And I will never forget getting to play in the state championship game in the band. 
Victory! <laughs> yes. Okay, can we move on now? Victory! That's how every great story ends. That's how this story ends. The greatest story ever told. It's true in each of the stories that we looked at earlier, that I mentioned earlier, and it's true in the story of Jesus Christ. But for there to be victory, there must be a foe that is defeated. And that was true in the stories that were mentioned earlier. And it's true in the greatest story. A foe, an enemy that must be vanquished. To understand what must be defeated in this story, the story of the Scriptures, we must go all the way back to the beginning. Farther back than we've, been, that we, than we've been thus far in this series. We've been back to the prophets and the priests and the kings. We've been as far back as Abraham, but we've got to go back even farther. We've got to go to the garden. Back to the garden. To Genesis chapters 1 and 2. After God in His might created all things, all living things on the face of planet earth, He then created man from the dust. And he gave man a beautiful, idyllic place in which to live. And he told him to work it and keep it. It was the Garden of Eden. It was paradise. And then God observed that it's not good that man should be alone. And so from this man, he, from a rib of this man, he created a woman. And both man and woman, God's first human creations, they were created in God's image, to bear His likeness. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we see the establishment of marriage, that they are to leave father and mother and join and become one flesh. And God tells them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God has great plans for Adam and his offspring, the human race. But then, but then, that crafty, wily serpent wound his way into the garden and upset everything. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, everything comes crashing down when the serpent, who is more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made, comes and says to the woman, did God actually say, and he begins to sow those seeds of doubt in the woman's mind. He says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You see, God had given Adam and Eve, the first human couple, all of these wonderful fruit-bearing trees from which to enjoy. And he said, there's just one, only one that you must avoid, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But now the serpent says, did God actually say that? And the woman said that God said, we may eat of any of these trees, but not that one. Because if you touch it, you'll die. And the serpent said, you're not going to die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the woman took another glance at the tree. And she began to see it in a way that she hadn't before. And she observed that it was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. It was appealing to her just as temptation to sin is appealing and attractive to us today. And so she took of the fruit and ate it, and she gave it to her husband, and they ate, and it all came crashing down. The enemy snuck into this idyllic, idyllic existence 
that God had planned for his human creation in the Garden of Eden and destroyed it. The enemy, the evil one, Satan in the form of a serpent. And we read in the book of Romans that the enemy's deception here ushers in more enemies. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. This is a verse that we mentioned in last week's sermon. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So as a result of the enemy's work in tempting Adam and Eve, in comes sin. And on the tail of sin, in comes death. And suddenly God's project to bless His human creation has been derailed by Satan, by Adam's sin, Eve's sin, and the death that results from one man was to come good things. Big plans. Not anymore. Tragedy. But, there's a hint at how God is going to undo all of this damage all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And there may be some of you here today who have not noticed this verse before. And this is one of those things that when you see it, you cannot unsee it. It is the oldest prophecy in the Scriptures made about the coming Messiah. It is when God is meting out punishment. It is when He's disciplining the serpent and the man and the woman. And to the serpent, He says in chapter 3, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise His heel. What does that mean? It means that the eventual offspring of the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, will take on the enemy, the serpent, the evil one directly. The enemy will bruise him, bruise his heel. He will hurt him. He will inflict pain upon him. But the coming offspring will mortally wound the enemy. He will deal to him a head blow. And the New Testament shows that the eventual offspring that God speaks of here all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 to Satan is none other than Jesus Christ. And the Gospel writer Luke traces Jesus' lineage all the way back down through David, through Jacob and Isaac and Abraham, all the way back to Adam, the Son of God. We see that Jesus is the one who will come and take on the enemy. The enemy will bruise his heel, but Jesus will bruise his head. He will destroy him, defeat him at the cross. Yes, the cross, a great tragedy. But the Bible also tells us that the cross was the scene of the greatest victory. The moment at which the Son of God defeated the evil one. And by the time we get to the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, Paul says that because of Christ, it is as if history is starting over. I want you to grab a Bible and look with me in Romans chapter 5. Let's dig into these verses together. I have Romans 5.17 on the screen. But I want to read verses 15 and 16 as well. And I want you to be able to follow, follow along here. So if you have access to God's Word, please turn there to the book of Romans chapter 5. We'll start at verse 15. 
Paul says, the free gift is not like the trespass. The gift of salvation is not like the first sin. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God. And the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. You need to see what Paul is doing here. He's talking about all of the destructive effects of sin that came about as a result of Adam's decision to rebel. But he's saying that Jesus in his ministry and his work is overturning all of that. Let's keep listening. Verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Do you see that the ministry of Jesus is reversing all of the ruinous effects of sin? Verse 17. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Paul declares, and this is, this is our last, this is the last sermon title here in this series. Paul says Jesus is the last Adam. He's the last Adam. Adam was the first man. Jesus is the second man. He's the final man. Through Adam, God had great plans when it came to Adam, but through Adam instead came sin and death, but now through Christ comes righteousness and life. The work of Christ is reversing the curse, overturning the curse of sin. Christ defeats the enemy, Satan, and the enemies that were introduced, that were ushered in through Adam, sin and death. Christ is the last Adam. God is doing through Christ everything He intended to do through Adam. Adam failed. Christ succeeds. And because of this, there are now two types of people in this world. Only two types. There is black and white. There is no gray. There is no neutral ground on which to stand. There are two types. There are those who are in Adam. Or there are those who are in Christ. Now who are you in? I want you to think about that question. Are you in Adam? Or are you in Christ? Just by virtue of being born into this sin-scarred world and reaching an accountable age when you are aware of your sinfulness, you're in Adam. That is your default nature. Adam is your representative. You are perpetuating the sinful behavior that Adam introduced into the world. You're in Adam, and because you're in Adam, you're headed for destruction and death. But God has given us a second way of being in the world. We don't have to be in Adam anymore. We have a choice. God in His grace has given us another way, another path forward. We can be in Christ. By being born into this world, we're in Adam, but by being born again of water and of spirit, according to Jesus in John chapter 3, we can be in Christ. When you receive Christ, as your Lord and Savior, when you're baptized into His name, you are no longer in Adam. And you no longer have to face 
the death and the destruction that is owed to all those in Adam. You are now in Christ. And when you're in Christ, it is, this is, you want to be in Christ, by the way, if that's not evident from the sermon. That's where you want to be. You don't want to be in Adam. You want to be in Christ. It is infinitely better because when you're in Christ, you are no longer defined by the worst thing that you ever did. You are no longer identified by your failure, by your sin, and by your ultimate death. Instead, if you are in Christ, your life is characterized by victory, by righteousness. Not your own righteousness, but the righteousness imputed to you through your faithfulness and your obedience. The righteousness that you are clothed in because of God's grace through Jesus Christ. And life, not death. It is far better to be in Christ than to be in Adam. And so you've got a choice to make. You can either follow Adam to the grave, or you can follow Jesus Christ to life eternal. Now that seems like such an obvious choice, does it not? To turn your back on all of of the sin and the, the wreckage that sin produces in this world to say, I don't want to be in Adam. I don't want Adam representing me anymore. I want Jesus to represent me. I want to be in Jesus. And yet, there are countless people the world over who have rejected this offer from God through Jesus. God says, you don't have to be in Adam anymore. You can be in Christ. You don't have to face death. You can experience life. And people out there say, no thanks. People in here say, no thanks. You say, no thanks, by continually sitting on your pew when the invitation song is sung. I mean, you stand when you sing it, but you stay put. You don't slide out a pew and you don't come down the aisle, even though you know you have not been born again into Christ, even though you know you haven't repented and confessed His beautiful name and been buried in water for the forgiveness of your sins, you put it off. Putting it off is the same as saying, no thanks, I'll just stay in Adam. Why do you wait? Maybe today is your day. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. I mean, you can't get any clearer than that. If you're in Adam, you face death. If you're in Christ, you can be alive. On this day, you can be born again. And you can be in Christ. And your experience can be one of salvation and life and victory. And if you're in Christ, because I know, I know my audience today. I know that I am speaking to a room, room full. The majority of you are baptized believers. So I want you to think about this. If you are in Christ, some of us need this reminder. If you're in Christ, if you've been born again, you need to stop living like you're still in Adam. You have moved from death to life, from tragedy to victory, from sin to righteousness You now, according to Paul, bear the man of heaven, not the man of dust. 
You do not resemble the man of dust anymore. You more closely resemble the man of heaven, Jesus Christ, because of God's grace. Are you living like it? If you're in Christ, live like you're in Christ, not like you're in Adam. Paul in Romans 6 says, what shall we say then? Are we to keep sinning so that grace may abound? Are we to abound in sin so that God's grace may abound? He says, absolutely not. Of course not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And that's what happens when you move from being in Adam to in Christ. You put your sins behind you. That is in your past, in your rearview mirror. You have moved on beyond that. You have died to that old way of life. It is not a part of you anymore. It does not define you. And so why do you continue to drift back into those old patterns of behavior? Why do you continue to slide back into those old familiar temptations? God's word says, stop it. That is the old you. That is, that's like somebody in Adam. You're not in Adam. You're in Christ. Start living like it. Sin and death have been defeated. They no longer have dominion over you. There are two sides, a losing side and a winning side. You're on the winning side. So act like it. Live like it. Christian, your story ends in victory. You're going to face a lot of hardship and struggle in this life. And sometimes it seems that keeping the faith is not going to be worth it. But I promise you, God's word promises you that the glory that awaits us far outweighs any difficulties we face in this life. Your story ends in victory. You're on the winning side if you're a baptized believer. If you're not, why don't you become one today? Why don't you move from being in Adam to being in Christ? All of this is due to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the last Adam, the one who is overturning all of the old ways, who is reversing the terrible curse of sin. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And you have a chance to find life, abundant life, eternal life through Him today. If you haven't done that, if you haven't been baptized into His name, why don't you do that? If you're in Christ, but you've been living like you're in Adam, why don't you come today and say, I need to get my life back on track. I need to rededicate myself to the Lord. And you know what? I don't think I can do it by myself. I need my Christian brothers and sisters to surround me in support and encouragement and love. I need them to be praying for me. If you need salvation, if you need forgiveness, if you, need, if you have any spiritual need at this time, this is an opportunity for you to come and make that known while we stand and sing.